0: This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast, and today, we're incredibly fortunate. We're operating remote at a conference in Tampa, Florida. I have Catherine Bell. She's from Scottsdale, Arizona, and she's the VP of Operations for Flippin' Females.
1: Yes, thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Very early morning.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, with the name Flippin' Females, folks are going to go, what in the world is Flippin' Females?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, So what the Flipping Females is, is um, we're just a group of successful investors. Uh, Most of us are all women, and we uh, mentor and train people how to become successful real estate investors in the world of fixing and flipping properties.
0: There's a lot of attention and a lot of media in the flipping world and TV and you name it. So how long have you guys been up to this?
1: Um, we've been doing this for four, almost five years.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, and so you're across the Phoenix area?
1: We are, and we're in Las Vegas and moving into Texas as well.
0: So diversified. Yes. So folks, you know how in the world did you get started?
1: So the company Flipping Females, um, how it got started was all of us being successful investors As an investor, we're always learning, growing, expanding, figuring out how to be a better investor, um, how to have our ROI be better. And so we're always going to courses, seminars, reading books, whatever it is. And um, ultimately, what happened was um, there were the... You know, we call them gurus that come to town all the time and teach these courses. And we as investors would always go because we're, if we could learn one new thing that has us be a better investor, it was completely worth our time and money. And um, so we kept going. And inside of that, um, what we discovered was all these gurus um, have a few things that are very similar. One, the guru is actually never there. There's just a cardboard cutout of them. Um, two, that they all have this similar three-step sales process. And so the first one is you go to a, a weekend or day training, it's free, then they upgrade you to the boot camp, which is usually a little bit longer. And then the whole time they're at that, they're up, they're having you increase your credit card limits, um, for the purpose of what they say, real estate investing. But at the end of the day, they just want you to pay like 60, 70, the latest I heard was 120,000 for their mentoring program. And um, that wasn't OK with us. And the founder of the company, uh, at one point, you know, we've done hundreds of these projects. And inside of conversations with several of the people that were running the event, it was pretty easy to determine that they'd actually never done a fix and flip ever in their life. And yet they were claiming to teach it. And so we, um, there was a little old lady. She was about 70 years old, and she got up. And started walking to the back of the room with her credit card to put down the $60,000. And he stood up and said, hold on. Hold on. Like, what are you going to teach her that she's going to earn the $60,000 back in her lifetime? Like, this is probably her life savings. And um, he got kicked out. (laughs)
0: He said, sir,
1: you need to leave. He was so mad that these people could come into town and rip little old ladies off that he said, never again is this going to happen. And that's essentially how our company was born. He said, if you've got $60,000, you need to be putting that into property. That's what you need to be doing. Not giving it to somebody else for some other course. Because if you're going to learn fixing and flipping, the reality is, as an investor, you can't learn it through a book or a webinar or videos or a phone conference. You actually need to be boots on the ground learning exactly how to manage everything that comes up in a fix and flip. I mean, we've done hundreds of these. I've done um 159 this year and I've got 40 going on right now. And there's no two projects that ever look the same. Like still as an investor, I'm still learning on every single project and that's how you learn is okay, here's the challenge. How do we overcome and you know, create the solution? As investors, uh, we all came together and we all have the same philosophy that we have um, really a desire to come up along people and teach them, but more importantly, to train them. Because training is very different than just education. Training is where you're actually doing it, and so all of us have that commitment and that desire to make a difference and to have people be successful. And so that's how this whole program came to be, is alongside of us fixing and flipping our properties because people kept asking us to teach them how to do this. Now we work with them and have them. Uh, work alongside with us as much or as little as they want learning the entire process from beginning to end of the entire fix and flip process.
0: I have questions that come to mind. Yeah. So for a typical fix and flip, yep. you have to find it, purchase it, fix it and sell it. You got it. Walk us through those steps. So yep. if you've done 100 or whatever the 149 this year.
1: 59
0: 15, oh well, I missed 159. Oh well, it's early. Um, you know, and you look at that. So, how, what's the process of identifying a property?
1: It's a great question. Um, so, identifying a property is um, most of our properties that we get we get at wholesale prices. So, we look for a lot of abandoned properties, distressed properties, uh, and there's there's lots of them out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, once we determine a property is distressed. Um, we do contact the owner and just find out, you know, sometimes it's the property that's distressed, sometimes it's the owner that's distressed, whatever it is. And again, our biggest thing is we leave every person, property, and community better than we found them. So whatever transactions that we have, it's always got to be a win-win. So inside of finding these properties, um, people are usually very happy for us to take it off their hands. And so we say the scarier, the better, So we go into the very scary neighborhoods that most people won't go into and start, you know, cleaning up the neighborhoods and having them be beautiful, which makes a big difference because that pride of ownership is a big deal.
0: At some point, you guys were fixing and flipping. And then at some point, there was a transition where you started working with other people alongside. So what is the the economic contribution or role of some of the folks that, that are investing or helping alongside with you guys?
1: how we have structured it for ourselves is that we we already have the relationships with all the lenders. Um, I can have a property approved and funded or the agreement to be funded within five minutes. That's the strong, we have a very, very strong relationship because our lenders know that we know what we're doing and we're going to make it happen every time. So um, we are able to negotiate the acquisition price and um, most of the rehab costs of the entire project. And then, of course, the contractor and all of that. So, what they're bringing would be the, say, it's 10 or 20% down on the acquisition and then whatever the holding costs are for that three- to six-month period.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, in, you know, and I think about just mechanically. Yeah. So, you've identified the property. You have yep. an investor that provides the down. Yep. And then you guys have the acquisition cost and the rehab cost. Yep. So I think about 159 properties, that's a fair amount to keep track of. How many folks are in your organization?
1: Altogether, our whole team, there's probably about 40 of us.
0: On the cruise, do you go out on outside contractors or do you have crews?
1: We have outside contractors.
0: Okay. So it's minutia. It is. Expanded.
1: Yes. (laughs) It is. (laughs)
0: for the folks that are listening, you know, and then they'd go, well, how do people find you guys?
1: Um, so we um, we have a website. It's uh, www.theflippingfemales.com. And then we're also on Facebook as well.
0: I gotta ask. And YouTube. <laughs> all right, I gotta ask, how did Flipping Females, the name come about?
1: Yes. So um, (laughs) the founder of um, The Matrix, uh, we were all sitting around one day. Okay. And The
0: Matrix is?
1: The Matrix is the parent company of the Flipping Females. All right. Yeah. We were all sitting around talking. And um, what happened was, was through um, doing all these projects, we discovered that women are better fixers and flippers than men. Like when it came to the end product, um, men generally, it's like there's the – Gray palette, or there's the beige palette, and that's as extensive as it gets. <laughs> where
0: <laughs> blunt tool, <laughs>
1: right? Like there's, a, and it's the palette boards. They're like you know, choose Airbnb, and where with the women, it's like I think just women have this love of having places be beautiful, and so the level of detail and just who they are, like, they just got to really pour into it and really have it be an expression of who they are and, like, really, really love these projects. And so when we were putting these projects side by side of, you know, one that one of our male rehab directors did versus one of our female, there was a stark difference. And so... Um, inside of that meeting, you know, it kind of became a joke. And it, it, it wasn't meant ever to be a competition between men and women. It was just a very obvious, like, th- there's a pretty big difference in the end result. And um, the founder, Dan, he, uh, he was, you know, just being Dan, who's very, very funny. And, you know, was, ah, you flipping females. And it just kind of became this joke from there. And we turned it into the flipping females because that's what we do.
0: I'm sure there's stories where you've had some folks come in and put their funds together. Yeah. Do you have um, long-time, multiple-project people involved with flipping Females as investors?
1: We do, yeah. We have lots of people that um, just love doing what we're doing and continue to partner with us on all our projects. And for me, what's even more exciting is when they— Learn the whole process of fixing and flipping a house. Now they're on to the next level, which is we have a whole leadership track, and now we're training them to actually be leaders and be rehab directors. And now they get to start training and mentoring others up and being able to do this. And so What's extraordinary about that is we are expanding across the country into 110 major metropolises. So we're giving women this opportunity to pour their love into and have a full expression inside of having these spaces be beautiful. So what I love about it is that um, the ones who have repeat projects with us and who are um, part of the uh, leadership training program is that, you know, a lot of them are moms, they have kids, they have husbands, you know, they've got lives. They even have other jobs. So they're able to actually do this part-time and have fun here while they mentor and make a difference for others. And then, of course, you know, be able to get paid at the same time to do what you love to do. You know, and that's one of my favorite things is um, I remember when I was younger, my grandfather said to me, say, said, Catherine, find something you love to do find a way to get paid for it, and you'll never work a day in your life. So for us, for all these women, I mean, that's exactly what we're giving these women, is this vehicle to do something that they love to do, be able to make a difference in the world, you know, leaving every person, property, and community better than we found them, you know, and make a little extra on the side as well.
0: Folks go, well, why wouldn't I just come in and do a project with you, yep. learn the ropes, and just go do it myself?
1: And they absolutely can, and some people do do that. Yep, absolutely.
0: What's, what do you think the, the differential is for the folks that stay around and the folks that go out on their own?
1: I think it's a couple things. It's one, it, it's time that people have. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it's people's heart. The ones that stick around are the ones that really have the heart to make a difference in other people's lives. And they really want to be that contribution that has somebody – you know, have success wherever it is.
0: You know, some folks are going to detect just a bit of an accent. Yes. And where in the world did that come from?
1: <laughs> uh, from northern Canada, yes. Canada. Canada. <laughs> but there's no A. My husband says A more than I do, and he's an American.
0: <laughs> so in, in, we chatted a little bit about where in Canada – Mm-hmm. You were pretty far north.
1: Yeah, 12 hours north of Vancouver, a little town called Prince George. It's like, gets to be minus 75 some winters. It's really cold.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have to talk about the story. When you were a little girl on your bike.
1: Oh, the bear story? <laughs>
0: Because people are going to go, Canada, bears.
1: Right? Yeah, yeah bears and moose. Um, so, yeah, we were having a brilliant conversation the other night. So, uh, I was, I want to say I was like 12 or 13, and we were out camping, because that's what you do in Canada. You go camping for fun. And um, I was riding my bike down this path, and, you know, as a kid growing up in Canada, you're just, you're used to all the wildlife. And you know what to do you're trained very early what to do. And so the bush beside me on the right-hand side started shaking and I look over and all of a sudden this tiny little bear cub comes and he ran in front of my bike over across the path to the other side. And... Anybody knows where there's a cub, there's a mama. And sure enough, the bush is shaking even more, and all of a sudden I see mom is on my right side and baby is on my left side. I spun that bike around so fast, and I pedaled so fast to get out of there because you never want to get between a mama and her baby. That's one thing you know. And it got all the way back. I just remember I couldn't even, like, breathe, and I'm trying to speak. And you know when you, you, you're you like, I'm trying to <laughs> you know, they couldn't even understand what I was saying. So I finally caught my breath enough to explain that there's a mama bear and her baby. So of course, all of a sudden, the alarm goes off and everybody has to get in their vehicles and wait. And they contact the game warden and they come and take care of the mama and their baby. Like, yeah,
0: you obviously are fast on a bicycle.
1: Um, that you get real fast. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, you know, shifting gears back to the property side, you know, you, you think about, and there's, you know, there's a proliferation of TV shows on fix and flip yes. and rehab and, yep. you know, I mean, and, and they're everywhere. Yep. At what point in time does that market get saturated or done or what condition causes it not to be advantageous?
1: For us, we, um, what we teach is do the numbers and the numbers tell you what to do. So every single project that comes across our desk, we have a team of five different people that analyze the property and go through and do the numbers. And we've all got to agree on the numbers for the project to move forward. So the reality is, I think there's always going to be distressed properties. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know that that's ever going to go away. Like, the property that's fine right now in 10 years from now probably won't be. So it's
0: you know, I, I think about that. I don't know it's ever going to go away. So, you know, I, I'm you know, playing out my mind. You know, I yeah. drive by a neighborhood. Oh, there's a house over there. It looks like it's got weeds in the front yard. And yep. Whatever. Yep. And you go and you dig around. Walk us through the identification process. Does somebody go in and somebody says it needs a foundation? You know, what makes or breaks the decision? Bad foundation? You know.
1: It's all about the numbers. So there's a few things that we look at. Like, we look at um, as much as we can. The roof the AC, the electrical, um, the the foundation, and then everything else is pretty much cosmetic from there. So, I mean, you've got the windows, doors, things like that. You want to look at the major items that would have a major cost. And so from there, we pretty much have a formula that we know how much – each one of those items is going to cost or not cost. And so that factors into our formula. So then we back it out and we're able to determine what's called the ARV, after repair value, Mm -hmm. based on everything else in that particular neighborhood. So then from there, we just back out our formula and we know how much we have to acquire it for, how much rehab we put into it in order for it to financially make sense. So then we have the conversation with the um, seller how much they're selling it for, or willing to sell it for, and if it fits inside of the formula, then that's how we move forward. So there's there's no emotion to it. There's no like, oh, this house is so cute. Like it may be cute, but if the numbers don't work, it's not really cute. And we like to say, you know, ugly is the new pretty.
0: There's <laughs> hope for me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm meeting houses. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like the uglier the house, the better.
0: You know what? What ranges of houses do you do? You try to target your market in.
1: We stay usually below the three hundred thousand mark, mm-hmm. for, and that's after repair value. Um, we find it to be uh, our highest ROIs, and a lot of investors will stay out of those areas because they're they're pretty scary. We kind of have a joke, you know. It's like some of these neighborhoods are two gun neighborhoods. So what do you do in a two gun neighborhood? You sure. take three guns. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we joke. We totally don't do that.
0: But you just go in the day.
1: <laughs> you just don't go at night.
0: <laughs> and so, you know, if, if, if you're going in and you're rehabbing a property and turning it into, you know, a, a lovable home in a tough neighborhood, who's the typical buyer in a tough neighborhood?
1: Here's what's really extraordinary about that, is that when you look at a house and what's on the market, if a house, you know, we could fix and flip a house, say over in Scottsdale, and that house, you know, the ARV on that would be five six hundred thousand. Well, we would put the same amount of money into it, but at the end of the day, the profit would say be fifty thousand dollars, which you know that's a nice profit. But then there's the whole hold time. How many buyers are actually on the market looking for a house that's five or six hundred thousand, and how long we're going to have to actually hold it? Now, if we have a house that's um, two hundred thousand. <laughs> And again, we can make $50,000 on that. The outlay of money to make 50000 on the $600,000 house versus the outlay of money on the $200,000 house is a dramatic difference. So your ROI obviously increases on the $200,000 house. Now, the next piece we look at is how many buyers are out there that qualify for a $200,000 house. There's a way bigger pool. You know, of course, the government's got all sorts of programs to help these families who otherwise wouldn't be able to get into homes and be able to purchase these homes. So our homes get sold very quickly.
0: And and guys, we're actually in a resort community doing this podcast, and the guy with the snowblower just went by, I don't know what, said. we're in Florida, it's not a snowblower. The joys of doing live This is running. kind
1: of like construction.
0: It's, yeah. I mean,
1: <laughs> Constant interruptions.
0: Yeah, it's just normal. This is so, perfect. You know what, what I we think— We could say it's
1: a construction crew. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. You know, and if, if you were going to go into a property, what are the typical one or two things that you guys see most commonly need to be repaired or rehabbed when you go in?
1: I mean, the common things are paint and floors— Like, fix the walls and floors. No matter what, no matter which property we go into, those two things are always going to need to be done.
0: And so, you know, you've got the property identified. You have your investor. You find it, get it bought, and the crew goes in. What's your typical time frame between find and sale?
1: Uh, It's generally less than six months.
0: Okay. That's pretty quick. Yeah. Turnaround.
1: We've got our crews trained. They know exactly what we're looking for.
0: For the detail folks out there, is there a software or a process or collaborative software that you guys use to keep track of all your projects and and keep the team pointed?
1: We use Google, Google Spreadsheets, Mm -hmm. and um, a program called Asana. Okay. And those are the two main ones that we use and all our systems and structures are built inside of. This mm. isn't a complicated process. Mm. And I think people want to make it more complicated than what it really is. And it really isn't that complicated. Once you get your systems and structures down and you just do the project based on the numbers versus your feelings about it, it just becomes really simple to make all the, the choices inside of making sure that it's a profitable, successful project.
0: So as you guys move into newer territories, yep, how do you develop the cadre or the, the group of folks that you're going to train?
1: Lots of networking. Lots and lots and lots of networking because we want to work with people that are um, excited about what we're doing and committed to making sure that all the projects stay on time and on Mm -hmm. budget. So it really is, it's not, and again, it's like just what you know, but it's about who you know. So just having lots of conversations and figuring out, I have people reaching out to me all the time through Facebook of Mm -hmm. different places of, Okay, so now i got some contacts there, and we can start
0: Can Okay, know, and you just networking. use the same numbers and ROI stuff, and they just take in and you supervise them, and they get her done. Yep. Well, this has been interesting. Yes. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, uh, you know, cleaning up neighborhoods and making houses nice, I'm sure there's a transformative effect in these neighborhoods.
1: There really is. We have so many of the neighbors come over after we've completed a project and are beyond thrilled about what we've done a lot of these homes just have some undesirables mm-hmm. happening in them.
0: What's the biggest misconception you think there is about what you guys do?
1: Um, people uh, that they believe that we're um, driving up the prices too high inside of all the areas. And when the reality is, is that we are increasing property values for everybody in the neighborhood, um, which is good for everybody.
0: Yeah. Pushing comps.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But all of our comps that we do um, are extremely conservative. We don't ever push, you know, beyond what that particular neighborhood can actually handle. Like, it's just not economically responsible.
0: Well, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking time out of your early morning (laughs) And putting up with a lawn mowing guy or whatever he was doing.
1: (laughs) And I appreciate you. Thank you. This time together is awesome.
0: All right, Catherine. Thanks so much for being on the show.
1: Yes, thank you. You
0: bet.